0: Joy and happiness. My name is Donald Felder, and I am so proud to have this moment to talk about Delbert Richardson, my friend. I want to talk about Delbert Richardson in a way that you can see why his work is important. I want to talk about the very first time that that I had an opportunity to actually work with Delbert with five African-American children think about those experiences in which I understand why we applaud Delbert today I want I want us to applaud so loud that his ancestors can hear a thundering roar of gratitude appreciation so that they come a running and shining a magnificent light on his work so that as we walk through the traveling museum, we have an opportunity to say, I'm going to undo racism in a very special way that's unique to me. I want you to applaud Delbert Richardson for the work that he's done over his life, collecting artifacts that represent truth, It represents our history. So I want you to believe that this is not just a traveling museum where you get to sit back and say, "Mm Mm-mm, good. This is really an opportunity for you to share with others why Delbert's work needs to be in every public school so that we do one thing. We create culturally enriched environments that are welcoming for all children in America. How about that? So, Delbert, I appreciate you, my brother. Uh, You're very deserving of not only this award, but many more that will come because of your great work. Just remember, I'm tagging along in your shadows. Bye-bye.
1: Welcome everybody to another episode of equity rising today we have Mr. Delbert Richardson on the line with us right here it's been phenomenal to watch your work in community and I got to start us off properly because here at equity rising we like to ask our first question always is first things first, how are you taking care of yourself.
2: Excellent question, thank you so much for asking me to show up and and I always like to answer that question with today, right? So what I did today to take care of myself, I actually of course have a to do list more things on my list than I really can accomplish. So what I did was I intentionally got off the treadmill and laid down and took a ah. Zoom call in the prone <laughs> position.
1: I love that.
2: And I left my avatar on, right? Which means I wasn't concerned what people saw and didn't see. I'm laying down, y'all, and this is why, right? And that's the other piece, too, is that, that, that ability to be transparent and vulnerable about who I am and where I am and being okay with that is a form of self-care,
1: it really is. I think so much of it. I, I love how you rephrase that. Uh, taking care of yourself today. I think it's so important because it changes day by day, and you really do have to listen to the waters of your body. I love to say to understand how to wield it properly for you, so that your body shows up in its optimal condition for you every single day. So, thank you so much for that. You know, like I said, kind of in the beginning. I mean, you have just been a phenomenal force in community. You do a lot. You're- there are men of wearing many hats and I get to experience you out there in community. And, and we are excited this season on Equity Rising that we've been able to really focus on the local equity changemakers of our time. And I consider you just that. I want to dive first into some of the ways that you show up in community and then we'll like expand on all of them throughout our conversation. But what are some of the hats that you're wearing right now in the ways that you are being beneficial and, and being one who's bringing different realms of equity to the community?
2: Wow. How much time we have? So one of the ways I'm showing up, and this is important, I've um, I've taken on a mentor. Excuse me, a mentee. I'm actually looking at what does legacy look like, right? Because I think one of the things that we get, we as community people, or or um. Yeah, people that have been investing in this work for years. We lose sight that there's going to be a transitional period. And at some point, I'm going to go be with the great ancestors. But what am I leaving, right? How am I, what am I depositing into the next generation? As you can see behind me, I'm an avid, voracious reader and researcher. And so I've taken on a, a mentee, which which makes me slow down enough and focus enough to make, to do my best to make sure he's getting the information in a way that best sits with him where he is right now. And, you know, we all show up in different ways at different times and I've got adult children and I'm always trying to figure out how can I get them to a place? But the reality is they're right where they're supposed to be. So that's one way. The other way is, is learning to say no because just like you said, I'm being asked to do a lot, and because of where uh, society is with George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Amon Arbery, Black Lives Matter, January 6th, I'm just gonna say this. You know, it's not uncommon for me to get a lot of calls from white folks. Because, you know, and this is a Delbertism. I think when they get into their feelings, they have a tendency to want to be a part of. And I'm not always sure what their motives are. And just so you know, for those that have never experienced me, I speak from a place of honesty. And so I always do my best to be, to show up. And so being asked to do this and being asked to do that and being real clear about what I can do and what I can do, which is that self-care piece around capacity. And so my main work is working with pre-K to 12th grade black kids plain and simple and I have an amazing uh, national award-winning traveling museum that we'll talk about and so when I'm with the children that's when I get the best joy because I know for a fact that because of the assignment I've been given by the creator when I leave them they're feeling better about themselves.
1: Wow wow so phenomenal so phenomenal. Thank you for that rundown. And I and I too want to really thank you for being able to be transparent and real with us. You know, ultimately, I think that, that when people share their truths, we're all the better for it. And I love how you said, you know, really being able to kind of dissect where people's, you know, motivations are coming from. What is, you know, inspiring them to reach out to you, I think is so key. I've had to um, recently school some primarily, White group, on you know when you're asking for somebody to share their experience in the black community, you're really you need to understand that they're because they're an expert in what you're asking them to speak about. They're the ones that have the lived experience that are sharing with your audience so that your audience can be more prepared or better off for it. Right now, you have a, a, a injection of thought that isn't your own and, a, and an experience that you're able to build your work off of. And so when you're asking folks from community to share in that regard, you have to look at them as experts. You're asking a consultant at that point. You need to come with a consultant kind of fee. You need to be actually, you know what I mean? Not thinking that people just want to share their experience for the sake of sharing their experience or for these ideas around seats at the table, right? Because we're creating our own tables, we don't necessarily need to see at your table, right? So I just love how you said that because I think so much of it is is if we don't do that, then inherently the status quo's are what are going to continue to emerge, and ultimately we have it upon ourselves now. To as someone said this weekend, it behooves us uh, to 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 do better and to really be able to hold folks accountable. So I appreciate you for that. So let's dive in. I mean, creating this opportunity for you to be a mentor. I am so thrilled because we need more mentors like you. How has it been for you to be able to share your experiences with your mentee and to get them to understand some of the ways that you have been able to carve out your ideals of the world and your work? It's been, it's been,
2: it's been, huh? It's been work, and I'm going to say that good work because a lot of times we do work alone, and it's just the nature of our business, but when we start taking on, it's no different than, um, say, for instance, if I had a company and I'm, and I'm hiring a new employee, what I put into that employee at the very beginning has a lot to do with the output by which that they're going to produce, and so it's really being intentional and strategic and not overwhelming them regarding what I'm pouring into them. And here's the other thing, creating a healthy space so they have an opportunity to share. So I believe it's always a reciprocal in terms of learning. Uh, I always say I'm a learner more so than a teacher because when I say I'm a learner, that opens me up for the opportunity to grow.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I think. For those of us who think that we know enough that we're never learners at all, that's where we fall short, right? And so much of this is I think about Growing with the sign of the times. I mean, we just saw you. You made mention of this, the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery. You know, George Floyd, and so many countless others. Right when we think about what it looks like in terms of Black community being the ones that are experiencing those that level of violence uh, towards us, it's very particular and peculiar all at the same time. And so. Even for those of us who have lived longer and, you know, I talked to my grandma about this, still being open to new ideas and, and opinions is really key because that's how we move a lot of progress forward. So I'm thankful uh, that you have a young Delbert coming out there, uh, being able to, <laughs> you know, spread spread your love in that regard. And, you know, I've, I've known you as the one who's always you could keep the message alive about this traveling museum and the work that you're doing with young folks. Let us learn a little bit more about what this museum is. Okay,
2: well, probably, thank you. The museum is really my story. And I think we all have no, I don't think that we do have stories. And I wanna make sure that Triana I send you this link that I'm doing a a junior storytelling event Thursday in collaboration with Seattle Public Library so you can share with others. So I'm I am 60, I'm a young 66 years old. I was born in 1954. So let me just put this in a context. Being born in 1954, probably my birth certificate probably says either colored or Negro. So the question becomes, I'm going to put, just close your eyes. So just imagine this beautiful melanated young man being brought up in, I was born in Detroit. We were, we were removed here a year before the big riots in Detroit, I think it was 67. But just imagine going to elementary school, middle school and high school and never really having any black history at all. So for the most part, I was socialized to believe who I was by the lens of those that had the power. When I say the power, that would be in this in this case for you guys, a social media for us was TV, radio and the newspaper. Wasn't no cell phones, wasn't no MySpace, wasn't no none of that. And so, my socialization in regards to identity was primarily through watching the civil rights um Clips with Martin Luther King, uh, the dogs biting, the the protesters, the hoes on the children, th- that that lens that they normally show. But I never really sh- was shown anything positive about who I am, right? And so when I think about uh, movies like Cleopatra and Liz Taylor and Richard Burton, I think he played... You guys, So there was never really any connection To Africa and melanated people And then, last one Is this, this show called Tarzan It was this maroon uh, White boy, that young White boy that was marooned on the continent Of Africa, and he Was called the king of the jungle Right? So here are these messages That I'm getting in The only images that I had Of my people on Tarzan was People that looked like me, but they had grass skirts, talking about ooga booga, right? So here he is. So where am I going to get something of value consciously from elementary school by going to University of Washington, transform my life? In 1973, we it was a, it was a prerequisite that you had to take African American studies. That was transformative because not only did I learn that. There was these great um, people in Africa, but there were contributions of Africans around the world. So that was transformative So I've always collected uh, Black Americana And f- for some of you It may be things like um, Aunt Jemima Salt and Pepper Shakers uh, There's the Uncle Ben's Rice So in other words We've always been used To market product, right? So I'm in the process Of preparing for a large installation At King Street Station in Seattle So here is This is nigger hair store polish so it wasn't uncommon for our images to be you to market um, uh, items so I started collecting those things at antique shows and before you know it I started having a host of things in my home but this experience I had of being raised and, and socialized being negro and colored and then being transformed at University of Washington I started asking the question if I'm feeling that way, how are other children, black children, being seen and treated? And so without going to a lot of detail, I just decided to take the artifacts in my home and turn them into a unique inter- interdisciplinary teaching pedagogy to help children better understand where they're from what was done to them and what they what they were able to accomplish. And so now what you have, I have this amazing work that's transforming school systems.
1: Wow. Oh my word, Mr. Delbert. I mean, kudos to you for having the foresight to understand how necessary this was just based on your own lived experience. You know, I really get so inspired by those of us who understand the void that's there. And then we say, no, we take it upon ourselves to fill this void. And I see you doing that in the ways that you have. How has it been going for you in terms of contracting with schools, getting this museum into the faces and minds of young people, and taking it from your home perspective now out to the public?
2: Too darn slow for me. (laughs) (laughs) And let me just be honest, because here again, you know, I just pulled a couple of items out. Just so happens. These are real child slave shackles. Wow. Here's adult slave shackles, right? So the question is, who in the school system, and let's be honest, 80% of these uh, public school teachers are white females, right? So the question becomes, who in these school districts and school systems want to really hear and embrace the truth? So I've been building this this network of those individuals, some white and some black, one class, one principal, one district at a time. And so things have started to uh, improve, but I think that the sad part is, and this is not uncommon, I've gotten more national recognition than local recognition. And so, and it's not uncommon. A lot of artists will tell you, be it music or painting, they'll say a lot of times you have to leave town. But I believe I'm here for a particular reason, and I am doing the work necessary to, to change the minds and hearts of people. So um, I'm involved in a... um contract now with six schools it's Seattle Public Schools it's a pilot program and we're looking at developing an afrocentric curriculum it's a test and it's rooted in um, ancient African studies as a foundation. And so once we start to understand where we come from, then we have a better understanding of who we are. You know, let me just share this as I can. I took this off my mantle on purpose. Right. This is a Sankofa bird. And some of you may know or may not know, but this is the work I do. And Sankofa bird is a mythical bird of the Akan people in Ghana and it flies with his head backwards. And so the belief is it's almost impossible for us to move forward without taking that which is behind us, which is our ancestors, which is our culture, which is our identity forward. So the egg represents Me and you and the babies that have been born yet. So what I'm doing, I'm taking the histories that's part of our rich past and embracing it in a way so we move it forward so our babies fully understand that everything they would ever want is already inside of them.
1: Oh, my word. You know, that's a beautiful uh, piece right there, that Sankofa bird you just showed. And uh, I talk about Sankofa all the time in my work because I think that. We need it. It is so necessary right now. And when I think about, uh, you know, going back to ancient African practices and understanding so much of what was so rich in the original cultures and civil uh, civilizations of our time is that there was so much more time being spent on building up the people, right? It wasn't about systems then. It wasn't about corporations. It was such a village mentality where everyone in the village was giving to each other in a way that was so organic. It's it's one of the things that I really see as a resurgence of what we're doing now in communities, right, is, is understanding how to share each other's gifts and brilliance, how to be in, inspired by it so that we say, you know what? Yeah, I can, do something with myself. I can do something with my life force right now that is going to go above and beyond. And, you know, oftentimes it means we have to wake up from some of the ideals of Western culture that have been so now ingrained in us and cultivated in us to start to understand the brilliance of what we had as original societies. And so I just love that. I love the Sankofa bird, everything it represents. Um, And thank you for sharing that. I, I think when I think about Equity, right? For instance, I mean, what you're actually providing is a modicum of people being able to understand the history so that they can build what is needed in an equitable way as we move forward and as we progress. What are some of the things that really stand out to you when you hear the terms, you know, equity and um, it's different than equality, right? But I want to hear from you what stands out to you?
2: You know, I was just having this conversation with um, a photographer. I'm in the process of documenting my artifacts and getting ready to do a publication around my work. And I was just sharing with him the, uh, the, the difference between equity and equality, right? So equity basically means, this is a deliberateism, that if you, the dominant culture, have gotten for the last 20 years, it's time for you to get nothing equity may look like I get 80% of the candy bar and you get 20. Because the question becomes, how do we, how do we, is no different in reparations? So how do we right wrongs? How do we fix things? How do we repair things that are broken? So here's a piece of paper, right? So equality means that if I split it in half and it's equal and I tear it down the middle, then we both get equal share, right? Where if you've gotten the lion share all the time it may mean you getting this and me getting this that's equity so what i'm learning is that the dominant culture or white folks have a hard time with this analogy or mindset because in their mind they think they're losing you can't lose when you've always gained
1: Ah, oh, such a great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal that paper right there. I, I like that one right there. No.
2: Well, please do, because I'm sorry, because I think a lot of times and I'm, I'm a storyteller and I use authentic artifacts, storyboards and storytelling and visuals because all of us learn differently. And so sometimes something as simple as that can resonate with somebody rather than telling them what equity and equality is.
1: Yeah, you know, and I love that. And I think so much of it, um, it can get lost in language. And sometimes you just need a simple demonstration like that, you know, to really show showcase what it is all about. Uh, We talk about it from, you know, King County Equity Now perspective. We talk about, you know, the sense of agency and ownership. Um, And when we think about equality, it doesn't inherently include those things. But We're moving in a way that is saying, no, we're unapologetic about ownership and a sense of agency, which really means get out of our way. Right. Let us do what we need to do. You know what I mean? And move out of the way. Stop putting the barriers in place to try to impede on that progress. And I think you're spot on. When you talk about fear being a, such a driving force of what that, that activity is surrounded by, right? Where it's like, oh, no, if, if we do this, then what does that mean for us? Oh, what does that mean for our children and, and their offspring? What does that mean for our lineage? Well, ultimately, you are so right. And the data now is beginning to showcase that when we invest in what it means to actually have, you know, black equity, first and foremost, when we invest in that very specifically and in intentionally, everything else lifts for everyone else. So the idea is that we don't need to split it up is real. And sometimes I, I, I hear people, and maybe it's a Pacific Northwest thing, because I don't know that it exists so much in the South with my friends on the East Coast as much. But the term BIPOC, right, when you think about some of our some of our uh, uh ways of trying to bring everybody into one thing um and it's supposed to stand for black indigenous and people of color right and i i i've heard multiple arguments around this why this term is utilized but For someone with your expertise, I really want to ask you when you when you show me, you know, you as a young boy seeing these artifacts and being um, being described as a Negro. Right. For for much of your young life. You know, when you hear something like BIPOC, how does that resonate with you?
2: Well, that's a very sensitive topic. Because I know I've heard it on both sides So let's just start with this whole thing about identity, right? So the question becomes, when do I get a chance? You talk about agency So when do I get an opportunity to value me how I want to be seen Versus boxes being created So if you think about colored, Negro, African American African American, Black So at what point, which one of these boxes do I want to fit into, right? Now, here we got BIPOC, right? So I really am trying to be mindful of of being strategic about not being um, put into a particular category. So let me just say this here. There's a term called targeted universalism. By, uh, I think it's Professor Powell And he basically, and you can look it up It basically says, I think something you were talking about When the when those individuals that are most marginalized Are brought up or are being uh, supplied with resources in a way Everybody benefits So if we think about the social construct of race Social construct, because it has no basis in terms of genetics. So it's all designed around power, white being at the top and black being at the bottom. So for me, if black people are being taken care of in terms of resources, are being supported in terms of needs, then everybody benefits. So I really do my best to really be careful about who, who made a BIPOC anyway, right? And I'm not, here again, I'm not to say that it's bad or good. I just really do my best to make sure that I'm intentional. Now, let me share this with you. I've gotten to a place now, and this is my own growth piece. I no longer identify as African American. This is me. I identify myself as an African born in America. Mm. That's just me. Now, see, I've had to evolve from that based on what was created for me in terms of African-American, Afro-American, BIPOC, and Black. Now, those still may exist, but my agency is, I am clear that I'm African first, and then I was born in America.
1: hmm I love that distinction. I, I knew I just had to ask you that because I love that distinction. Of you know, I, I find that no matter who you're talking to, when I when I'm speaking with folks that are my elders that I respect so much, I get so much uh, from you all, and I'm I'm just so grateful that you were able to take some time to be with us on Equity Rising today. Because honestly, I know our audience is going to be all the better for it. And really, what you just described there in terms of that very specific nuance of no longer african american but an african born in america really sets the tone for me and i just appreciate you sharing that and being being open enough to share that with me when i start thinking about the ways that our community is shaping up around what equity looks like i mean we have a lot of it feels like it's an explosion almost right now of very specific organizations institutions individuals that are like in this wave of working in a collaborative way while everyone is retaining their own identity, but moving in a, a a wave of collectivism that is really working towards dismantling the systems that have not worked for us. And I, I see the Traveling Museum as such an, an integral piece to that, because without us being, uh, you know, seeing the examples of how often and how many different ways, you know, It was trying to normalize the ideas of the construct of race, as you talked about, this social construct. It really was in so many of the artifacts that you have in the museum. But also, too, you're part of this entire wave happening. And from your perspective and your lived experience, how are you really identifying this wave of action right now? Maybe it was a protest, George Floyd, just people being like, you know what? No, we can no longer deal with these things, and we have to start dismantling these systems that no longer work.
2: Well, thank you. So, can I ask you a question? Absolutely. How do you How do you want to be identified in terms of your name? T.
1: Oh, Trey is fine. Trey, Trey holidays. See, yeah, that's Trey.
2: important because see, if I don't watch it, I've been on un- made up some stuff, right? So, <laughs> so, so let me. So, how I'm doing it. And I wrote this down because you mentioned it a little while ago the language, right? Now you gotta follow me on this, okay? So my work is called the American History Travel Museum, The Unspoken Truth. It's not called Black History or African American History. Um, purpose. Why? Because I operate from a belief, and you hear me say belief quite a bit, that we call it African-American history. There's some people probably of different ethnic groups or different cultures that may not think the history pertains to them. We call it black history. Some people say I ain't black. I don't have nothing to do with it, right? But we call it American history. It makes it all inclusive. Now, Trey, listen to this. When I call it American history, I get a chance to see myself in a story. Because America has been defined as white. Based on who? He who tells the story controls the narrative. I'm a storyteller. I'm telling a story. That's why my work, even though it's called American History Travel Museum, I start with Mother Africa. Why? Because I can Okay, but it's intentional. So our history is a lot greater than the enslavement period. There's this whole piece of our history. If we identify as African-American, we got to ask ourselves, when and how are we being taught the positive part about our African-American name? So by starting with Mother Africa, I create this healthy foundation of identity from the motherland. But here's the other thing, too. By calling American History "tray," it allows me to get into schools. Because, see, that's the paradigm by which they think, right? The dominant culture. So when I show up teaching American history and I drop this museum on them, they'd be saying, oh, my goodness. Because they even have never been challenged to look at us through an American lens, right? So museums in the four sections, Mother Africa, so, where I teach about the rich history of our ancestors, but I teach STEM or steam coming out of Africa. I teach about American chattel slavery, and I teach about Jim Crow. I don't teach civil rights. I teach about the social construct of how whiteness was constructed as a dominant force. And the last section is, to me, most powerful section. It's a forty foot every day. A section on black inventions or inventors So what I've learned Is that African is who I am And the inventions is what I'm capable of accomplishing Or efficacy And slavery and Jim Crow had two things in mind Keep me from who I am And what I can accomplish So me using language As a foundational piece Is to have us All of us start looking at uh, The stories Through a different lens
1: Oh, my gosh. I'm getting the chills. I'm just like, yes. Everything that you are saying is so spot on. And I, I'm um, I'm so grateful. I really am. I, I You know, I think about this platform and I was just saying this right before we started this recording. I was having a conversation and just talking about how. You know, we understand that there's so many negative activities that have become normalized over the course of time. Um, You know, just today learning uh, so much more about how the police can get on the stand in a courtroom and just lie. Because they've done it. They get away with it. The system is set up to protect them from doing this. They don't have to actually say the truths, But yet we as an everyday citizen, we are expected to get up there and say the whole truth, nothing but the truth. So help us God. Right. And we swear on that. Right. And these ideas that this is really how warped the system has become. I say to myself, well, what can I do right now in my lifetime with with the life force that I have? How can I wield it in a way that allows for what we want in terms of the we? I do mean most of well, a lot of people, I'll say, right? Whether it's most or some, there's some that love the system the way that it is. It works for them. They, you know, get wealth and all of that. And they, and they like that. But for so many that it doesn't work for, that are like, I don't care how many times I lace up my boots, you know, uh, it's not going uh, to equate to me getting certain things that are really owed to me as a as a person. Um, so how can I will my experience and my existence to be impactful in terms of changing the minds of people? opening up the hearts of folks, getting us to start understanding the ways that what we do is literally weaving history as time goes on every single day. And um, I'm always saying to people, see yourself as a part of the solution. It's like I repeat it so much that it's just, I could say it in my sleep. It's just, I'm always saying it because I realize how important it is that all of us are a part of this. As you utilize the tools that are given to you, Mr. Delbert. You clearly said to yourself at some point, I've got to see myself as a part of these amazing solutions. How does that resonate with you?
2: Well, what it resonates with me that that I have control over, for the most part, one person. that be me. So the question I have to ask myself, how am I showing up in a way to influence others? And I say that... Humbly, because there are times when I want people to be in a different place and to be speaking a different way. But I got to remember, here's the thing, I got to remember what it took for me to get to where I'm at. And so sometimes I need to exercise some patience and tolerance with other people, but I don't lose focus on what my responsibility is of showing up in a way. Authentically. And so something else is coming up back to that BIPOC. So the question becomes for those of us that that falls within that category or box, what's our responsibility to understand that all of us represents the other? So you have the other and then you have the dominant culture. So the way way this whole system has been set up is divide and conquer. So the challenge I see is is around this anti-blackness, right? So how are we understanding and becoming more aware that sometimes the things that we struggle with the most are self-created, that my Latino brother, that my Asian sister, we're all, for the most part, others. We may be at different levels of how the dominant culture sees us. And so I'll never forget, I was in this workshop, and this Asian lady said that she never really understood the model minority thing until she had her own lived experience, right? And then she understood that even though she made be seen or viewed as a dominant culture it's only a matter of time before they come after her so 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 the question becomes let's not wait till that happen how do we collectively come together as a bipod group and move right and so i'm going to share this because because it, it's true during the Civil Rights Movement, you may have had Martin Luther King, Ralph Abernathy, Andrew Young, all of these guys, Bayard Rustin, behind closed doors. They didn't always agree, Trey, but when they went outside, they agreed to disagree and move forward collectively. And that's one of the things I I believe that's so important for us is to be able to agree to disagree, but keep our eye on the bigger picture. And that's really about humanity.
1: You know what? I agree. A hundred and ten thousand percent. So much of what we've done um, at King County Equity now, no matter what, is exactly that. Right. And we may have things that we have to deal with behind closed doors that make it so that we can understand the differences, right, of where people are coming from. There's a variance uh, of opinions out there and uh, perspectives and approaches and strategies. But ultimately, I understand that all of them together go in a bucket of equity, Black liberation, justice, right, reparations, all of those things. There's there's some pillars that we get to stand on in that regard, that are going to keep our eyes on the prize in terms of moving it forward in every day and in every interaction we encounter. It's why we love to say uh, for the organization, we're unapologetically black. And people go, well, what does that actually mean? No, we say unapologetically pro-black. And they go, well, what does that actually mean? And it's like, no, we also realize that sometimes it's we have to be the ones that are going to say the thing that maybe nobody's been wanting to say because we're going to be unapologetically pro-Black. And if you're going to connect with us or work with us in any way, please understand that first and foremost. Right. And be willing to to dissect what that means for you. Right. Um, as you begin to build relationship with us. So I just think that that is so important in terms of that unity factor. Um, you know, it's something that we I really feel like we can't afford not to have. And when I think about that Sankofa bird again, looking back to know how to move forward. Ultimately, it is the divisive tactics of the system that will keep us working in silos and that will keep us thinking that unity is something that is unattainable. I've had many people tell me my ideals of uniting with everyone, some type of kumbaya moment is just it's not reality. Right. People say it's just not realistic. And I say, but why? Why is it not realistic? And why do we actually utilize that language to to then permeate that into our bodies and into our souls and our mindsets about what's realistic or unrealistic. Something you just said there that really struck me when we think about the term BIPOC is I love the term global majority because honestly, it really cements for me. And when I think about my two sons, and what it means for me to have them be injected with that, that spirit of understanding their brilliance, of pride in themselves, of recognizing the the lineage that they really come from, of the kings and queens that we always have been, the ones that have built the first civilizations. Uh, I'm going to take that back to them, that, that we're Africans that were born in America Peace today. That was a real gem that I get to share. But that is is exactly right for me, that no, we're actually not the minority. We're actually not. And when I think about the word, again, we're talking about language here. And when I think about the word minority, minority really means that you are a person that needs someone to care for you. That's actually what minority means, right? It means that somebody else has to be more dominant than you in order to care for you and ultimately I said oh no we're not that at all right I love that you steep so many things in storytelling mode because for me one of the main reasons why I work in media as a media personality doing this podcast media director for King County equity now is because we have to wield these narratives ourselves. I'm really grateful for you and your presence and community. I don't get to spend enough time with you, Mr. Delbert, but I know every single time I have, I have walked away from that experience going, my gosh, that man is up to so many amazing things. At one point in my life, I'm gonna have to sit down with him and just talk with him about all the things that you have done. So I can't thank you enough. Is there any last words you would like to share with our audience about your work, about what you're doing, about your purpose, because you're one of those folks that I see living in his purpose, and it's a beautiful thing to witness. Oh,
2: thank you. Let me just say this. I'm only a phone call away.
1: (laughs) That's right. We got each other's numbers now. Yes,
2: exactly. So let me just say this. I don't know who it was, but um, I've heard this, that you and I are our ancestors' greatest dream, right? And so Delbert always stays in this question mode that, what's my responsibility to your son's sons? We're talking three generations, right? So um, I stand on the shoulders. So in other words, you're going to be my daughter. So you're on my shoulders, right? Which I love, man. But I'm on on these shoulders, right? So the question becomes, what's my responsibility, right? And so I am responsible, and to my last breath, my, my wife, I got one of the best wives in the world because she knows this work is very difficult, but she po- supports me. But I have responsibility to your children, right? Here's the thing I want to talk to my white brothers and sisters out there. And I say this. I don't do allies. I don't do advocates. I do abolitionists. Because I asked my white friends, so what was it about those white abolitionists that were willing to risk it all? For humanity, right? So I asked my white brothers and sisters. So what is it? What was it about uh, on the Freedom Ride? I'll never forget this. Um, you can see the documentary when John Lewis and those guys was going across the South, and the bus stop, and John Lewis is getting ready to get off, <clears throat> and the white guy said, "No, let me get off first. And he knew he was going to be assaulted. So the question for white folks on here, what are you willing to give up for humanity? And if the answer is help me, I will help you, but I won't do the work for you.
1: Okay. Yes. <laughs> ah, snaps all around. I will help you, but I won't do the work for you. It really, really makes me uh, excited because, um, uh, I I've been seeing this. I've been deeming them the awakeners. It's just that cuz really they're like new age abolitionists that are like, "You know what? I don't care if this system was built for me as a white man. I am not comfortable." With this, I'm not comfortable with the fact that there's people that are not getting their full due because I'm getting so much that that my people thought was due to me. Ultimately, it's going to take a lot of those awakeners in order to really change the trajectory of this nation. I think we in America deal with something very unique and specific, because when we think about chattel slavery and we think about how wealth was built, particularly in this nation. We understand colonialism, which they have their own issues. But when we just talk about America, I think that we are really on the precipice of not just understanding and undoing the things that we thought were true, but we're also on the precipice of direct action in a way that's dismantling things. You got people working on the insides to be that are outside minded. You have a lot of folks on the outside that understand the nuances happening on the inside. So their approaches and strategies are very direct, right? Targeting very specific things. And yes, it may take many decades, right? It may take more life times uh, to really identify the, the root cause, get it out of there and start fresh and new. But the work is happening now. And it's happening with folks like yourself. And I'm so thankful that your your museum is traveling and educating young people. If folks want to catch up with you and all of the work that you're doing, how do they reach out? How do they say, I need this in my educational institution or I need this as a presentation for my board because they got to understand it. And yes, we'll pay you for it. How can people catch up with you? Well,
2: thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, my, my website is www.theunspokentruth.org. And on there, you can reach out to me. And thank you for saying because I'm starting to be asked more and more by corporations to do trainings, right, around bias and all those things. But I operate from a belief that unless you fully understand the impact of American child of slavery and Jim Crow hard, It's hard to understand about bias And and all that privilege and all that stuff Because you don't have a context by which to work from So, um, And hopefully in November I can come back Prior to my large uh, exhibit at the King Street Station That's going to be November to January We're still working on the particulars And what will be set up for the community to come down And have their own lived experience around my work
1: Wow, phenomenal. We will definitely do uh what I can uh to to try to help promote that as the time rolls on. We got each other's contacts like you said. Nothing but a phone call away. I appreciate you. I appreciate you so so much. Um and you know, people say you got to give your flowers now, right? That's right. Give your roses right. now. Absolutely. And I, and I yeah, and I'm just so thankful that I get Please, them. please I
2: give them me. here. Yeah. Give me my flowers. <laughs> Don't wait
1: till I'm gone. That's shoot, I a, can't smell them. Shoot. Smile That's shoot. right. That's right. And, and I, yeah. You're just doing yeah. fantastic work, Mr. Delbert. Thank you so much for taking on a mentor. We're going to be so much better for it. You know, your, your inspiration is beyond um, everything that you do. I'm just in awe and I'm truly inspired by it. So thank you again for joining us on Equity Rising. Yeah. You've been phenomenal.
2: Thank you, and I look forward to
1: collaborating again real soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you guys heard it there from Mr. Delbert Richardson, theunspokentruths.org. If you guys are looking to get more inspiration, see some of these amazing artifacts that he has in his traveling museum, and find some of the ways to connect with him, to bring his brilliance into your corporate spaces, bring his brilliance into your educational spaces or community spaces. Now is the time for us to be engaged and inspired and wake up to these harsh truths because that's the only way that we're going to make the right progress forward for our future generations thank you guys so much for listening to equity rising i'm your host trey holiday and i can't wait to bring you the next episode thank you